The views expressed in this program are those of the individual participants and not necessarily those of WVUD or the University of Delaware. WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining me live in the studio today, we've got three representatives of the College of Engineering. Assistant Professor Heather Doty from Mechanical Engineering, Assistant Professor Jenny Buckley, also from Mechanical Engineering, and Mel Jurist. Uh, she's the Academic Program Manager for UDK-12 Engineering in the College of Engineering. Back the first time I did, um, the first one of these Campus Voices shows I did, I had Lori Pollock in from Computer Science. One of the things that we talked about was the lack or the small number of women in some of the STEM fields, particularly computer science. I really have noticed that in the classes I teach for computer science. What's, what's really the situation? Jenny, do you have numbers pulled up there? I, I do have some numbers. Um, I think what you're seeing in your classes is uh, pretty reflective of national trends. Um, in engineering, you know, it varies by discipline. Uh, you have some disciplines like your mechanical, electrical, probably your computer science that are down around unfortunately around 10% female in the classes. Um, others are, you know, chemical engineering, uh, biomedical engineering are, are pushing towards 30, 30, 40%, which is fantastic. We've crossed that critical threshold, but there are still some disciplines where women are, are very underrepresented in the college classroom. So what you're seeing is real. It starts, helps if I turn my mic back on. It starts way before they hit the college, doesn't it, Mel? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, like, what you're seeing is just the end of the arc of girls dropping off way before that. Um, a lot drop off in middle school. Um, critical points are fifth and sixth grade. And then, you know, entering into high school, we see a lot of drop off in, in the STEM fields. Heather, I can't remember if it was you or Jenny who told me that uh, about 60% of the students in high school who take AP Calculus yeah, that was Jenny. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, so, you know, there's some interesting points, right? Um, we definitely do have a pipeline issue. Uh, and the, the, the point where it's very evident is, is coming into college. But as Mel pointed out, we're not sure exactly where on the pipeline. There's, there's kind of conflicting evidence or uh, a, a lot of different reports out there as to where the exact breaks in these pipelines are. And it's likely that there are multiple points. One point that's interesting, um, it, you know, to me in particular because I'm a, a, an educator at the college level, is the fact that we have a lot of females, um, or at least a high rate of females, who would uh, do well in engineering as indicated by the fact that they are taking and passing the AP Calculus exam. So it's about 60% of uh, the people who are taking the AP Calculus exam are female, which would suggests that we should see higher numbers or rates of women going into uh, engineering where calculus is something that, that is used very heavily. Um, but we don't. So a lot of those girls are going off into the biological sciences and to other areas. So one point of interest for me is how do we get those girls who have gone through, have made the effort to stay in STEM, at least through high school, get that training? Um, how do we get them to cross over into, into engineering? 
What happens once they're actually here, Heather? Um, well, once they're here, um, I mean, as Jenny was saying, the percent women um, receiving bachelor's degree in engineering is approximately 20% across all disciplines. Um, what can happen, uh, any number of things can happen in the classroom. Some of the, some of the women do great from day one and continue to graduate at the top of their class, but others can find themselves um, doing less well over time, and research has shown that female and male students can have differential experiences in the classroom, and um, there's any number of reasons why there tends to be a higher um, attrition rate among female students than male students. And I, can, I, I specialize more in the um, graduate student populations, and I work here on campus at UD to support women faculty specifically, and I can tell you that the pipeline absolutely leaks at every one of these levels. The, um, actually, um, oddly, I think, um, the percent nationally of women in engineering who, are doc who receive doctoral degrees is higher than um, bachelor's degree. It's uh, nationally 22.2% as of 2012. But then once you get up to the faculty level, you see um, among the tenure, tenure track faculty, 14% women. Um, and that's across all ranks. And then once you get to the full professor ranks, I don't have the number with me, but it's very, very low. So yeah, uh, women just tend to drop out of the field at, at every possible level. I know when I teach for computer science, I'm thrilled if I have five women in a class of 40. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's Undergraduate. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. All right, so we pretty much have documented for the folks listening at home that there is indeed a problem, and I want to know why is this such a problem? Well, I think, I think there's, um, there's a couple different reasons. Uh, we can start with what it isn't. Um, so what it isn't is actual and an actual achievement gap between men and women. I think that we have laid that to rest um, several times. Uh, the research has shown that there's no actual difference in performance between men and women at multiple levels, whether you're talking K-12 right. or at the college level. What there is is there's a difference in perception. So women perceive how they're doing differently than men. So, for example, you have a woman who comes in, She's getting a 3-0. She's a, a freshman or a beginning sophomore early in her, her academic career. She is going to feel differently about that grade, particularly if she was a high achiever in high school, than a male student who may go, hey, 3-0, that's great. I'm going to stick with it. I'm doing fine. The female's thinking, what am I doing wrong? Is this the right major for me? So I think one thing that we can really work on is making sure that um, we discuss what very publicly what good measures are in these fields because they're difficult fields. So getting a 3.0 in engineering is a good outcome. That's, a, that's an engineer who's ready for a job. So we need to make sure that we communicate to our students that this is, you are doing well and you should stay in the major. So th I think that's the biggest difference that I see at least um, across all the ages is that women perceive their abilities differently in these subjects than men do, even if they're achieving at the same level. I think they also tend to see their um their abilities as absolute. Um, I don't, I, I, again, I think research has shown that, oh, yeah, a male and female student may get the same imperfect grade, and the male student will be like, okay, great, well, I missed a few, but whatever. Um, I'll try harder next time. And the woman is more likely to say, oh, I, I missed all these questions. I'm never going to get this. I'm out of here. There, there's, again, the difference in perception uh, and um, somehow lack of perception that just try, try harder next time. Go talk to your professor. Go work at it, and, and you can do better the next time. They just 
are more likely to say, I am not cut out for this. I'm out of here. I'm not sure that's always a, a gender issue. I mean, mm-hmm. talking about a massive data sample the size of one, my son, mm-hmm. he got a C-plus in German, and that was it. He was done with that. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know he, something he wanted to do, but that C-plus he got his sophomore year in college, if that's it, I'm done. Well, you know, and, and that brings up an interesting point, which is the practices that we're talking about that are going to make these fields um, uh, a little bit more friendly to women, right, change the quote-unquote chilly climate, are things that are going to work really well for the men uh, and our underrepresented, underrepresented minority students as well. So we're not talking about fixing these issues just to recruit more women. We're talking about fixing these issues because it's going to lead to more talent in the field in general. So I don't want to lose the let, let's say let's say three three to three five. Okay, I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose. I, I retract my three zero. Three zero's great guys. If you're listening at home, all right, stay above it. But if you know, I don't want to lose um, kids who are who are doing well in the major, regardless of gender, just because they're perceiving that they're doing poorly, right? And they're actually not. So so just like with your son, I think um, we want to make sure that we're changing our practices. If we implement these types of things that we're talking about, it's going to be good for everybody. Absolutely. The program that I work with, um, it's, it's funded by the National Science Foundation, and it's called ADVANCE. And as I said earlier, it, its function is to support women in STEM fields as faculty members, but really every, all the programming is geared toward everybody. Our motto is um, recruiting for excellence, not recruiting for diversity or recruiting women faculty. And this, we do workshops on campus for faculty on uh, best practices for recruiting and for mentoring of faculty. And we say exactly what Jenny just said. We're not, we're not talking about women. We're not talking about members of underrepresented groups. We're talking about people and what's going to help one group of people is going to help everybody. Well, I, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, that's been my experience, too, in the classroom. You, know, you engage the students, whatever their gender, whatever their race, whatever their nationality, they'll respond. Um, and it really sounds like one of the things we want to do is to make sure that we're not losing a lot of talent from from the pool, um, particularly if we have the majority of students passing the AP calculus test being women, and fourteen percent of them, I think you say, enter. Th- it depends a, on the field, yeah. but yeah, somewhere somewhere between ten at the low end and thirty at the high end. Mal, you look like you're bursting to say something. Um, yeah, I'm bursting to say a lot of things, but um, I think the universal accommodations idea is key. I think that again, what you see in college is the result of, you know, we're expecting these girls in third and fourth grade to be able to advocate for themselves when, you know, they don't get called on enough or when they're not receiving or or they get the girls math sheet that's pink and pretty or they get, you know, the pink Legos or they get the, you know, we can't sort of do this divisive um, remediation tactic. It really has to be everybody, you know, everybody in the pool, you know, all of these things help everyone. Um, But we have to start sort of teaching them to advocate for themselves and advocating for everyone much earlier on. When we met before we went on the air, you were telling me about some of the things that even pe- that parents can do at home and, and sort of like changing the whole culture that that uh, little girls who are going to grow up into women experience. Right. right. Um, There's some very, very subtle things that um, – for instance, if, you know, no one carries a checkbook anymore, I don't think, but if there's, oh, you do. Okay, good. Um, good for current press or whoever makes those checks. Um, so 
when you're balancing your budget or talking about some sort of math problem and a mom says, well, you know, honey, you do this to her male partner, um, that's communicating, you know, somewhat that, you know, there, there's a male world in charge of the math. Um, subtle things like that, making sure that everybody does planning equally and they see everybody in it doesn't have to be an exactly equal, you know, people are allowed to have their own talents, but that everything is valued equally. So, We're talking with Jenny Buckley and Heather Doty from Mechanical Engineering and Mel Juris from the Dean of the College of Engineering's office, and we're talking about some of the issues that surround getting women more involved in the STEM field. And we've already talked about it being a problem nationally in terms of that's a great talent pool we're um, not tapping into. But another thing is for the individuals and their professional choices. I mean, it, we're, if women don't get into these fields, they're not choosing one of the lucrative areas to work. No, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, I'm going to focus on the E in STEM in a, for a moment, which is engineering. I mean, that is one of the few professions I can think of maybe, you know, accounting being another where you walk out of the door and you're, you're a professional. You, know, you walk out of the door with a four-year degree from college you're an engineer you can go out you can make a very very solid living five years out you're typically in the six figures so you know solving this problem where we're getting more women into stem actually works towards solving the pay gap and a lot of other issues um so yeah i mean definitely you know allowing women to have that choice uh, to to set themselves up to go into this major in college is huge for us from a from a societal perspective I'm going to add something to that, though, and say that it isn't just that women have this choice, but rather that the field needs every voice at the table, you know, every community, every background, every ethnicity, because um, if you, for instance, in in my camp, there was a group of boys in my summer camp, and they were coming up with this one answer to the problem. They were all kind of on this one track. You throw other people in the mix, um, some a girl joined their group and a person living with a disability and they and it completely changed and enriched the perspective if you magnify that at the college or the professional level mm-hmm. you know it's everybody it isn't just sort of you know yeah we want the women to have choice well it's 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 not just that they're women it's like a whole class of people are being excluded from this particular choice because of these as you as you guys have called it leakage at different points in the system yeah, there's any number of factors. It's a really complex complex question of why those leaks are happening. But but you're right. It's not just women or any other group. Um, I would also I, I want to add also a little bit to what Jenny and Mel were saying. Um, Jenny talked about the personal choice of profession and into lucrative type jobs, um, and I agree with that. And Mel talked about the the richness of diversity, and I agree with that as well. Um, the perspective that I like to come from or that I do come from is is um, a little more idealistic even, which is just the basic principle of choice of your profession. What if you just love engineering or you love math or you love building or you love designing because you love doing it and that's what you want to do professionally and it's just this really nice coincidence that you could make a good living on it. It's um, In my mind, it needs to be worked on. That w- I mean, in mechanical engineering, um, like in computer science, the percentage is more like 10% women. So even if the things that we're doing to improve that situation for women are also going to improve the situation for men, the women are still living as a significant minority within that population. And simply being 
in such a minority affects their experience in a way that the men are not having the same experience. And I want that to change because I want the women students to not be set back artificially in any way for pursuing whatever it is that they want to pursue. That's a good point. I think that the mentoring is very important for people seem to do well if they can recognize something of themselves in the person who's leading them, the person in front of the classroom, their advisor, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. There is some research. I've read a paper that um, I think the number one predictor of female student success in some technical field, I don't remember exactly what it was, but was um, percentage of women among the faculty who were teaching the students. That was one study. I'm not 100% sure that that translates universally, but it has been documented. And yeah, I mean, people do say that, and I think it makes sense that if you can see something of yourself in the person that is leading or instructing you or mentoring you, that um, that can be a bonus. Of course, you can see something of yourself in, you know, I, I was a physics major and I had nothing but male professors and I had some really terrific mentors as male professors. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who is just like you um, to, to help pull you along in your academic and your career path. But yes, I agree that it, it, it can help to, to say, to see other, you know, women further along in the path that you're interested in. I, I thought there was also some research that said and correct me if I'm wrong, that if you have a fem- uh, a perceived female mentor that's sort of bringing you along, if they are harsher on you mm-hmm. or more um, or less helpful, that that's actually more devastating to female students than having a male mentor. I think it makes sense. Yeah. So I think the, the, the factor here that we're all talking about is the importance of mentoring, whether it comes from a, a female or a male having mentors, um, and I'll speak to faculty mentors just for, just for a minute here, because we're the ones that are principally up in front of these kids in the classroom too, just having the faculty be aware of um, some of the societal pressures that their students are facing in terms of career choice, some of the social issues that they're going through, particularly as freshmen and sophomore students. Um, all of that, you know, building that awareness among the faculty as to what the students are going through, what factors um, affect their persistence in the major will have a huge impact. I mean, uh, one of my favorite studies comes out of a, a group. It's called um, Engage, uh, and it, it's out of Rowan or Stevens University in New Jersey. And one of the things they found that has a tremendous impact on uh, students' persistence in these uh, technical majors, particularly um, women and minorities, is is faculty members actually being aware of the students in informal settings? Like if I'm walking down the hallway and I ignore a student, and it happens to be a woman Which or a minority you do all the student, time I've seen that. I totally do not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, it's made me aware of it, right? Like, hey, I need to acknowledge this person's presence because if I don't, they're going to think, oh my goodness, what did I do in class that that pissed off Professor Buckley, right? And and um, so. What if all of our faculty were aware of that? That's something that's going to benefit both men and women. But I mean, that's, I use this as a small example, but we need to be more aware of how tenuous this is for these students that, you know, they're doing something very difficult right now at a critical time in their life. We need to be more supportive of that choice. Um, and well, well, that makes sense, because if you feel like you're an other in a climate, yeah. you're looking for a million different clues 
that indicate that you are another that support that. Yeah. So if you know you ignore them, then they're like, oh yeah, yeah. I am another. I'm out. So I, so I try not to have my head down as I'm going to the bathroom. You know, constantly I'm like, hey, is there a student nearby? Yeah, anyway. the, the neck brace that you've put on to keep your head up has <laughs> really right. really right. helped out. Yeah, I read something similar, and I try to do it sometimes when I have the time, which is just show up to class just a few minutes early and just have little chats with your students. Hey, how's it going? What have you been up to? Um, I overheard you talking about this really neat project that you were working on. Tell me more about that, that kind of thing. They seem to really like that. So, so I am going to point this out, which is we're engineers, so the social stuff, uh, well, and physicists, I, I, I lump, I lump Heather Doty into this group. Yeah, exactly. Um, we need to see the evidence first before we're, we're forced to be social. Um, but no, I mean, seriously, it, I think there is a type of personality that's attracted to the technical field. And that may be contributing to the chilly climate. It's not like we're purposefully being chilly. It's just that we're a bunch of nerdy individuals um, who maybe need a little extra social coaching to, to interact with students in a positive nah. way. Nah. No, I don't now, believe that for a minute because the whole field of engineering is changing. I mean, that perception of the engineer being the guy that doesn't establish eye contact and tinkers away in the garage, that's the old school engineer. But those oh, that old school personality is still predominantly what's teaching in your uh, universities. Okay. So, I, yeah, I mean, and no offense to my colleagues, generation. but we're... We, it's it's slowly evolving, but um, your dean came in here, sat right where Mel is sitting, and talked about the importance of communicating to engineers their need to be creative. Their and that's why he's the dean. Yeah, that's right. He's, 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 he's an extrovert. There you go. Yeah. That's right. That wasn't supposed to stop conversation. That's <laughs> well, supposed to keep it going. You talked about the dean. <laughs> we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's just talk about some of the cultural and social factors that particularly, Mel. I like your perspective because it's on. You know, early education. What are some of the cultural and social factors that are really contributing, particularly early on, to um, young ladies choosing not to go into engineering? Um, well, I would say, again, you know, like I tend to keep it sort of universal, but this definitely, you know, pertains to women as well. Um, we need to do so- do something that addresses not just the child, but teachers and their parents in this sort of 360 approach because if girls parents do not know how to advocate them advocate for them or don't know that it's perfectly acceptable it's awesome and wonderful to support your daughter choosing these fields and that it's okay for her to come home and not want to play um, imaginary play games but rather build something in the garage that's perfectly fine um teaching them how to look for the for the breakpoints and where girls tend to drop off, like transition to middle school, um, keeping them aware of things like uh, rigidity and gender roles. So naturally, um, kids go through points where they are trying to sort out the world, and one of the ways they do that is by adopting very traditional gender roles. So don't be discouraged if, you know, in middle school, you know, eye makeup comes into play. Either gender, I'm just saying. But um, eye makeup comes into play. Um, but understand that that is just a role that, that someone's putting on, and you can expand that role. You can you can talk about it and get teachers to understand that as well. I think part of those, too, that, that young ladies don't hear a lot of, like, the creative side about the team building, the collaboration and stuff that goes on in modern engineering. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And we're, um, as a as a field, working on that. There's a lot of um, good work coming out of National Academy of Engineering. There's a program called Changing the Conversation, which is about framing engineering um, as what it truly is, which is it's, it's a problem-solving field. So if you like 
solving problems, if you like being creative, um, this is really the field for you. So that is uh, engineers coaching each other on how to better present the field to students. The other thing that we know that has a huge impact, um, particularly on women's decisions, to enter a particular field is societal impact. So that is one of the reasons why you're seeing, well, we have seen such tremendous gains in like the field of medicine. So medicine, let's backtrack 30 years, tremendously male dominated, right? You've seen a shift at the point now where over half, or actually no, I think it's 49% of uh, medical school population is female. So, you know, that that kind of shift can happen fairly quickly if we start framing the issue correctly, right? So all of a sudden it became about doctors saving lives, right. this being a well-established profession, you can make a good living, all of those things factor in, but that societal impact is key. So we're trying to frame the conversation in engineering around societal impact around problem solving. Right. That was like the study out of Michigan that said, if you talk to if you talk to young women and say, change the world, be an engineer, yeah then they're in. And it, these things are true, right? So um, my research work is all in uh, orthopedic implants. So I, I'm, I'm the geek behind the scenes that is testing out spinal hardware, screws and plates and rods and all this kind of stuff to make sure that it's safe. Well, you know, I could have <clears throat> had an impact in orthopedics as a practitioner, but I would only see, what, maybe 30 patients a week, okay, max. As an engineer, if I'm developing that technology, right, if I'm developing the plates and the screws and all this, I'm impacting, you know, 100,000 people a year, which is amazing. So letting kids know that as an engineer, you can say, have the same impact as a quote unquote, you know, as a doctor, as a medical doctor, um, but on like a bigger scale, that's exciting. Heather, well, Mel and Jenny have been talking. I see you've been channeling your inner engineer. You're looking at charts and spreadsheets and taking notes. <laughs> oh, what the heck are you yeah. up to? Oh no, just I printed out. This is from ASEE, the American Society for Engineering Education, and they collect a lot of data every year. So I've got the data on the percent of bachelor's degrees awarded to women by discipline. This was again from 2011, 2012, the most recent report. And I was just listening to what Jenny was saying about changing the conversation. And um, the data really, I mean, environmental engineering, like the, how much more save the world can you get than environmental engineering, 45.5% of bachelor's degrees were awarded to women in that field. So they're really near, near parity. And the second highest is biomedical engineering, which is what Jenny was just talking about, at about 40%. So I think disciplines that are easy, it's, where it's easier to see the impact of, towards society of, of entering into those professions have been benefiting from women's participation probably for much longer. And now the other fields are taking that lead and, and, and working on um, getting more women into their fields. So that brings up a, an interesting point, which is, you know, the, some fields that are really lag, uh, lagging are um, electrical, mechanical, you're seeing in your computer science classroom. So this is this is me off the cuff here because I don't have numbers to back it up just yet. Well, but, that's surprising. Oh, yeah, isn't it surprising? Um, <laughs> so uh, if we can point out how in these traditional fields engineers are actually impacting society. So if you look at a field like, uh, well, I'll, I'll take my own again, mechanical, right? I'm a mechanical engineer working in um, the orthopedic sector to develop technology. I use my my mechanical engineering design skills to design those implants. So letting girls know 
that, hey, and, and everybody know that by working, getting this traditional degree, I can apply it directly to society in this way is important. We need to do the same thing for electrical. We need to do the same thing for computer science. We've got some great programs out there, robotics clubs, all of this kind of stuff, but it's not pointing out societal impact. So we need different programming in those areas. Well, Heather Doty and Mel Jurist and Jenny Buckley, we're out of time, but I mean, I could keep talking, let you keep talking another half hour. We'll have to get you in again to talk about some of the programs that we do. Thanks for coming in to Campus <laughs> Voices Thank you. here on Thank WVUD. You. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at WVUD.org. Bonjour, c'est Courtney Granger, et t'as pour écouter le station 91.3 FM, WVUD et WVUD HD1, New York, Delaware. Merci beaucoup.